The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hello, everyone. My name is Jack Wilson, and I had a bad week. I think it's okay to admit that, right? Sometimes things just don't go our way. And for those of you waiting for the end of the Beast in the Jungle story, which we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, we're going to postpone the ending because, frankly, that story might have broken me. Had I attempted it this week, that would have been the final straw. I didn't need that beast jumping out at me and weighing me down, my knees buckling. Not this week, beast. Not this week, Satan. Get behind me. But the good news is we have a great show. We have two wonderful listener emails, one from Poland and one from Australia. Those lift my spirits. And then it's the return of Mike Palindrome with probably the most ill-conceived draft we've done yet. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. There have been some some clunkers in there over the years. We, dra- we drafted centuries in literature, starting with the year 1000. How do you even begin with a subject like that. We'll find out today on the History of Literature. Okay, here we go. Hello, everyone. Well, there are good weeks and bad weeks, aren't there? This one was not great for me. Nevertheless, we go on. Let's start with a listener email. Good morning, Jack. My name is Alexandra, and I am from Poland. As I'm writing this email, I am kayaking through Polish rivers after I was inspired to explore life on the water. This is two weeks after I read Moby Dick and listened to your podcast about this book. I love your insights, and I often listen to your podcast after I read a book to get a deeper understanding about it, but also before I read one, especially if it's mandatory, to get me inspired to read it. Keep up the fantastic work, but I have one request. Please consider talking about some Polish authors. I struggle to find any episodes on them, and to be honest, reading for school would be so much more fun if you would do the discussion. Not my teacher. Best regards, Alexandra. Oh, I'm sure the teacher does just fine. Alexandra... Thank you so much for your email. Polish authors, that is a gap for us in the archive, I will admit, especially if you don't count Joseph Conrad. We need to do more Conrad, by the way, but I suspect that Alexandra is looking for someone else, perhaps Bruno Schultz or Adam Mikowitz, or maybe the great poets Milos and Simborska. Zbigniew Herbert. Is that how he pronounces it? Herbert? He claimed to be a descendant of George Herbert, by the way, so I think Herbert is okay. He would be good. Stanislaw Lem. I think knowing me, Bruno Schultz would probably be first on our list of Polish authors that we tackle next, but I will keep all of them in mind. Try to get that out to you soon. But let me go beyond the request and say how much you have inspired me. The idea of you kayaking through Polish rivers After reading Moby Dick, wow, I am there with you in spirit. I've got a paddle in hand, along with Melville and Ishmael and maybe a little Ahab, too. All of us in the boat with you. 
Alexandra, such a great idea. Read Moby Dick and take to the water. See where your mind goes when you put your body in that kind of a position. That's what, that's, I am getting a little misty here. Literature, it's, that's <laughs> really hit close to home. And you stretch yourself out first with a great novel and then with a personal experience and you try to live what you can and see whether the experience of the novel has stretched you in some way and whether the experience on the water is matches what you read. Maybe it goes beyond. Thank you for the email, Alexandra, for reminding me of what literature can do. Next up, subject. Thank you from Canberra, Australia. Dear Jack, there's no need to respond as I appreciate how many emails you must receive. That's a kind way to start an email. But I wanted, says the emailer, to sincerely thank you for the HOL podcast. It's no exaggeration to say it has greatly enriched my life and reignited a love of literature. You're welcome. That's very kind. Thank you for the kind words. Emailer says, I currently live in Canberra, Australia, and we are in lockdown here. As everyone knows, time moves in strange ways during lockdown. The days and weeks all melt into each other. Very true. However, the highlight of each day is my afternoon walk with the History of Literature podcast to keep me company. Some of my most loved episodes to date include those on Fitzgerald, Flaubert, and Dostoevsky, as well as any episode involving Mike, Smiley Face. I say, in response, we might be putting that to the test today. <laughs> oh, our century's draft is a little bit wayward. Hardcore fans of literature only, I suppose, although hardcore fans might be the most offended of all. This could be... <laughs> we will see. Emailer continues, I introduced my best friend and fellow literature lover to the podcast, and now whenever we catch up, we invariably discuss episodes we've recently listened to. I think P.J. Woodhouse, a favorite of mine, was right when he said that, quote, there is no surer foundation for a beautiful friendship than a mutual taste in literature, end quote. Please keep doing what you're doing. Best wishes, Oliver. Oliver, thank you so much for the email. I'm so pleased to hear that you've been Walking each afternoon and the history of literature has been good company. And I do get a lot of emails and I love reading them and responding to as many as I can. Don't always get to all of them. In some cases, there is a nice fit between the email and the episode. Here's a listener, Oliver, who likes the Mike episodes. So without further ado, adieu, further, further adieu, why did I say that as a Jew? Like a goodbye. Without further ado, let's turn to our draft. Ten centuries plus, we started in 1,000. So we've got 10 centuries plus a fraction, the one that we're currently in. It's only 21 years so far. The year 1,000 to 1099 and then 1,100 to 1199. That's the 12th century. You get it, right? And we go on and on all the way up through the 18th and 19th and 20th centuries, the 21st century, these 20 or so years of the 21st century. Which ones are the best? How do you judge what makes a century a great century for literature? That's the tough part. How do you judge it? 
We didn't talk about the ground rules. We just said, let's take a draft. We'll just draft the best centuries. We didn't talk about, well, what does that even mean? I think at one point I said, are we doing, are we doing Europe or Europe and America or the world? And Mike texted back, world. And that's not so easy. That's not so easy, especially when I am not an expert in literature of all periods from the entire world. I've read as much as I can. I've read as many anthologies as I can. I did some research to try to fill in gaps, but hey, I'll be the first to admit there are probably lots of books I missed that are in other countries when you're looking back a thousand years. So how do you judge? It would be easy to say, let's judge by the pinnacles of literature, the greatest works produced in that 100-year stretch, right? Middlemarch, 19th century, big, big check mark there, big, that's major points for the 19th century. But then, what if nobody was reading? What if you credit, credit the Canterbury Tales to a century, but but it was a, an era when literacy was not that high? What if there wasn't a printing press that made books widely available. Is that good for literature? What if there were no libraries or bookstores, no discussion of literature, or only a discussion among an elite? It would be easy to say that today is the best, and yesterday is second best, and the day before is third best, and work backwards, assuming that things are just getting better and better, more people can read, more books come out. Certainly, the democratization of literature and opening literature's doors to all comers, which is still a work in progress, but so much better than it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Literature Literacy is higher now and publishing avenues are more open and available to more people. All that is on a steadily upward trend. But that would be a bit of a boring draft. It's not a, a draft of literacy or a draft of democratization of literature. It's a draft of the best literary centuries, whatever that means, the best centuries of literature. So we are combining a lot of different ideas into this draft of centuries. Don't take this too seriously, people. It's not scientific. It's really just a way for us to get out some ideas about the passage of time, authors we like, and what it means to look at a 100-year block of literature and whether literature has had some ups and downs. I think you'll agree with us that it has. There are centuries that are stronger than others when it comes to literature. You probably have a few in mind for yourself. So let's take a quick break and come back with Mike Palindrome after this. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. 
The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, joining me now is our old friend Mike, the president of the Literature Supporters Club, who's here to talk about the last thousand years of literature. We're starting <laughs> in the year 1000, and we're going to rank all of the centuries via one of our drafts, the top 10 centuries since the year 1000. Mike, welcome back to the History of Literature. Thanks, Jack. Wait, I, 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 maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the idea. We're not going in order, right? We're just picking our favorite. Right. You're going to okay, you're going to pick okay. one and then I'm going to pick the next best and so on. So, OK, so I'll let you go first. What do you think is the best century in the last thousand years of literature? All right. I'm going to I know this is going to be controversial, but hmm. I'm going to go to the 19th century. Ooh, the 1800s. 1800s. Yeah. Sorry. OK, well, yeah. I had that as number two, so not too controversial. Yeah. So what? Uh, I mean, we we have the Russian greats, yeah, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Gogol. Mm-hmm. You um, can Tur- even get Turgenov. most of Chekhov in there. Yeah, yeah. Chekhov. We have Stendhal. We have yeah. Eliot and Austin and Bronte, and we have mm. yeah. um, Flaubert. Flaubert and yeah, the the French, the Victor Dickens. Hugo. Yep. And then Americans, we have. You know, Melville, yep. we have Twain, <laughs> yeah. Emily Whitman, Dickinson, Emily Dickinson, Hawthorne. I mean, oh my God, what a century! And, 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 and possibly the most creative because we have Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, Dracula. Mm. I mean, it's yeah, uh, and, I mean, it's also you know, a sentimental pick for me because it's really the rise of the great novel, mm-hmm. the 1800s. it's the so, rise of the great novel. That's definitely true. It's kind of the, it's really the heyday of the novel, I think, with the Victorian novel and, and just all yeah. of the, in the Russians. But also poetry, hard to beat. I mean, you have the romantic yeah. poets. That's right. kind of still the paradigm of poetry is Byron and Keats yeah. and Shelley. And then you have Pushkin and Baudelaire and, and I already said Emily Dickinson, but you've got some great poets of that era too. So, okay, 1800s. Yeah. Downside. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Wait, Balzac. Let me just throw yep. in Balzac, Hardy, mm. and Nietzsche for the spake. <laughs> Pretty good. Okay. Downside. Too much writing. Too many words. Too much moralizing in the novels. They all get to be kind of the same. Not much innovation of form compared with, say, the the twentieth century, nineteen hundreds, and. Yeah. Uh, but I don't care. And they're a little we, we, prim and proper, you know. But, that, but 
it, it, it transports you. Okay. So you like time traveling back to that era. You can sink into a chair by yep. a fireplace and read these books in a way that you can't with books from any other century. So That's probably true, yeah. And you know that you are then in the same position that readers were of that era. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, they were of, doing that too. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, the novel wasn't disseminated to a wider, wide public. And there's some real flaws with who was producing novels at yeah. that time. Right. But we'll put all that aside. Yeah. And literacy was on the rise, at least. You know, it's not as bad as we're going to see in some of these centuries. It's not as good as it was as it is today. But at least there were more and more readers with more and more access to books. And it was a great period for reading yeah i mean very eurocentric also because you yeah know, that's what we know but right and obviously you're gonna you're gonna pick the 20th century no i'm not <laughs> um wow i don't know if i'm gonna end up taking the 20th century but i am gonna take my number one which is the 1600s wow and you can say you know how you can look at philosophy and say that the era mm -hmm. of aristotle and plato was oh, so I had that number four. Was so yeah. yeah. You you could say that Aristotle and Plato, the two of them, were so important that everything after is just sort of a commentary on them, or that they mm -hmm. a footnote to them. You can kind of say the same thing about Cervantes and Shakespeare, that they yeah. kind of defined the modern novel and the modern play slash poetry, and Don Quixote, Hamlet, Othello, Macbeth, King Lear. Yeah. Christopher Marlowe was uh, really a 1500s guy, but Dr. Faustus was published in the 1600s. And then you have the metaphysical right. poets with John Donne. Then you get Milton with Paradise Lost. You have Pascal. You have Racine, Andrew Marvell, Descartes. It just goes on and on. Hobbes's Leviathan was here. Peeps was writing his diary. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress came out. So, And looking around the world, uh, mm -hmm. Kabuki was popularized in Japan at this time, and Basho, who's probably my favorite Japanese poet, was mastering haiku. And in Mexico, Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, that amazing woman, was tearing it up. So I'm going to take the 1600s, and I'm not going to look back. <laughs> <laughs> the Shakespeare powerhouse plays. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, I mean, those are the... You, you could match them up against anything. Yeah, that's the mountain. It seems like every one of these drafts, yeah. it ends up being, I, I lean on Shakespeare a little bit to help me uh, <laughs> with my picks. But uh, the yeah. downside for the 1600s, the plague was still shutting things down. And even though yeah. uh, I sort of, you know, you have Hamlet, Othello, Macbeth, Lear, it's not as if those were widely published and widely read. It's really the people who, you know, I'm, I'm crediting the century with uh, producing those works, but that doesn't necessarily mean, it's not like 90% of the public was aware of them or something, uh, and literacy was still not particularly high, and there was still a lot of censorship and, and self-censorship as well. So it's not totally free for the artists and writers, but even so, I'm comfortable that this was, the 1600s is a, a worthy pick. Okay. Yeah, it's good. On I, to number two. So I'll, I'll do the 20th century. Since, okay. Uh, 
It's like the the top draft pick who had the drug bust and now slipped <laughs> uh, down to the number three slot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you got Proust. You have yeah. incredible diversity. Uh, you know, a hundred years of solitude and mm. the French works, um, the Stranger, and all of Hemingway, all, all the great American poets, Plath, Lowell. Mm. All the great German novels, Magic Mountain, of course, and Glad Glassbead Game, and then the the real, the incredible, memorable, modernists, like yeah. Wolf Wolf Pound, Kundera, or n- not Kundera, but Joyce, yeah, you know, Proust, Beckett, Kafka, uh, and then you have people like you know you know Doctor Seuss, <laughs> The Hobbit, yeah. It's a good good era for fantasy, yeah. for science fiction, for dystopian fiction. A lot of different of, genres there. Orwell, yeah, sure. All of Orwell, yeah. yeah. Um, Graham Greene, my guy. Uh, yeah, that's good. You get post-colonial literature, finally. It's like this freeing up of, of literature yeah. coming out of places like Africa and, and Latin America. And it's, it's a good, um, it is good in a lot of ways, for yeah, sure. I mean, and the one, you know, or one of the flaws is just the so many of the books are about poster, uh, pros, prosperity mm. and wealth mm-hmm. and luxury and first world problems. Mm. And I often avoid those books. Yeah. Uh, but it, it really has become like the, the century of selfishness and yeah. you know, solipsism. Yeah. That's that was my negative. My negatives for this for the 1900s was that the first half of the century, although you do have, you know, the modernists and this huge boom in publishing and literacy, the first half of the century has all this censorship, which is kind of ridiculous. And then the second half of the century has so much navel gazing and things get kind of too small and insular toward the end. And the other problem I had with the 1900s is I felt as if in the second half of the century, especially movies and television and popular music replaced mm, right. literature and importance to people. You know, it's different from the 1800s where mm-hmm. the novel was the biggest game in town and it felt like that was the pinnacle. It kind of becomes, you know, I don't know that there was a book in the 70s that would be had a bigger impact than the Godfather, for example. And it kind of, right. you know, for literature to have secondary status is, is kind of a, a negative for this, for the century when in this particular uh, draft. And also I think the Holocaust kind of threw literature for a loop because it, it, it couldn't mm-hmm. compete with it. You know, you, you can't, how do you, yeah. Uh, how do you compete with an atrocity like that? It It's almost like you you can't even speak. That was sort of the Beckett response, I guess, was it 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 renders so much meaningless that um, it's hard to recover from that. And then I thought people, I don't know, books kind of got dumbed down toward the end of the century, I felt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it didn't feel like people were really reading for... Mm-hmm enlightenment and pleasure and it, the way they were in the 1800s they were sort of by the end they were just sort of reading to i don't know they had a weird relationship with literature it was you had postmodernism and metafiction and 
and Derrida criticism, and it just became kind of a, a sport or a game or a, something where people were using literature more than actually reading literature. Yeah, but I just can't <laughs> accept Derrida as a negative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's that was actually my i had that as number four on my list uh -huh. so i will take my number three i guess which is the 1700s 18th mm -hmm. century it's a great era for literary coffee house and pubs and literature really matters to people it's where they started recognizing shakespeare and enjoying his plays this is the era of Dr. Johnson, one of my heroes, Voltaire, Jonathan Swift, Robinson Crusoe. You get some great early novels like Tom Jones and Tristram Shandy. You have William Blake is in there, kind of a, a nice early romantic, strange poet. And you also get uh, Wordsworth and Coleridge's lyrical ballads, which started things uh, off for uh, that type of poetry in the romantic era. And you have Robert Burns and the first... European translation of 1001 Arabian Nights. In France, mm -hmm. you have, in addition to Voltaire, you have Rousseau and the Encyclopedists. And it was just a great era for things like developing dictionaries and encyclopedias and kind of continuing that enlightenment push toward literature. And I just like that how important literature was to them, that it really mattered. I feel like there's a pattern forming here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got older, I've got two older centuries and you've got two more recent centuries. Did you make a list where it was like you went 1800s, 1900s, and then you just went backwards in time and you're yeah. by number 10, you were at the 1000s? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll, you'll like my third pick. Okay. Third pick is, oh, let me guess. The 2000s. 21st century. <laughs> that is. That's, that's what it is. I'm gambling okay. that the rest of this century, is, we're only a quarter <laughs> in, but it's going to be amazing because so far we've produced Elena Ferrante, yeah. Infinite Jest, all of Nausgaard, and all this autofiction and Rachel Cusk and Rise of Essay Writing. And, and so I'm betting on this century to 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 churn out some really really stunning memorable books. Okay, well you've lost your argument. I had this as number <laughs> eleven on my list. And by the way, uh, Infinite Jest was a twentieth century book. It came out in nineteen ninety six. What? <laughs> Says the guy who turned over the keys to the car to you for uh, your how many episodes have you done on David Foster Wallace that you did solo? Oh yeah, three. three. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. <laughs> maybe I should have had you take a, a a a test to get your license before I tossed you the keys. <laughs> What's four years? What we're we talking about? Thousands of years. Okay. Well, the two thousands. I'm worried that there's too much literature. It's too chaotic and too noisy. Everyone's writing and nobody's reading and smartphones are killing literature off and, and the internet. I'm worried that this mm -hmm. is going to be the era people are going to look back and say, oh yeah, that's when they were doing podcasts about literature, which was a, will be viewed as a terrible setback. To quote a friend of mine, he says, 
The only reason that you should not be reading is if you're writing. Mm. Okay. Those are your two <laughs> options. So. Okay. So I will go to my, well, let's see, let's take a break and then we'll come back with my third pick. Okay, we're back. Mike, for my number three, I am going to take the 1300s. Ooh, that was my next pick. Yeah, 14th century. So I've got Dante, who published uh, the Divine Comedy from 1308 to 1321. I also get Petrarch, Boccaccio, Chaucer was 1374. Chaucer, Have you read all these books? That's the other thing that kind of kept me from picking certain (laughs) centuries, because I was like, I haven't read these books, so... I've read all the... I feel like I have the right you have read them. I have read the ones that I just mentioned, but I'm going to mention a couple others that I haven't. So in 1374, Chaucer Mm -hmm. was granted a gallon of wine a day for the rest of his life by the king in recognition for his services. And then he got to work on the Canterbury Tales after that. So that was kind of a nice... uh, a nice moment yeah. for the 1300s. There was the first published book in English to be written by a woman called Revelations of Divine Love. That's a book I have not read. Uh, in Africa, the Epic of Sanjara was published. Uh, I haven't read that either. Persian poetry was flourishing. I've read some of that, the stuff that's in the anthologies, in the Norton anthology anyway. A Thousand and One Nights was published, which is a great milestone for Arabic literature, and Sir Gawain, or Sir, Sir Gawain, however you pronounce it, um, I mean, it's pronounced both ways in, by different people, uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight was published. Wait, um, have, you, have, you seen, have you seen the movie? The recent one? The one that just yeah. came out? No. Yeah. Have you? Oh, it was the first movie I've seen in two years in a theater. And oh, really? It was, it was terrific. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah, we, we saw it in Williamstown in this tiny theater, which was only allowing 50% capacity and mm. served wine and beer and popcorn and milk duds. And the movie was incredible. It was so stylized. Big font letters saying a kindness before a scene. And it said <laughs> an interlude. And it was um, this, the, the main actor, Dev Patel, was yeah he was just he just carried that movie it was so good so i know people are there's a fierce debate about whether it's sir gawain or sir sir gawain what did they say in the movie Mm, i don't remember oh okay you were too busy eating milk duds it was they said that it was uh (laughs) anonymous ah i always thought you know i mean J.R.R. tolkien did uh uh interpretation of it but Mm. Yeah. Yeah, apparently it was anonymous. But I yeah, I highly recommend it. Okay. Well, and also this was a period where in France the National Library was founded as the Royal Library. So I had a few things here that were kind of literary events or literature, especially as we get back into the earlier centuries, it became more important to see kind of the rise of literature as much as the actual works that were produced. Yeah. The bad of the thirteen hundreds is pretty much dominated by the church and rich people, which is kind of a problem for all of these 
late middle ages, uh, pre-Renaissance that mm-hmm. you, you're talking about maybe 10% of the public who's has access to this or, or even less, but in any case, some great works came out of the 1300s. That is my number three pick. All right. My number four is reluctantly the 1500s. Mm, yep. That was the next <laughs> on my list too. But you have the Shakespeare when he was just getting going. Yeah. Romeo, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. Yep. You get that. And Midsummer's Night Dream. And then you have books that I've never read. Rabelais and... Yep. Books I don't like, like Montaigne's The Essays. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I mean, it it was maybe like, I mean, when I look at so much was published back then, maybe it's like the explosion of publication. The explosion uh, of publication uh, and uh, a lot of, if we're being kind of English centric or England centric, mm-hmm. a lot of translations coming out. So, oh yeah, like Journey, Monkey, Monkey King, Journey to the West. Yeah, yeah and Dante translation, Virgil translations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was uh, the first known printed cookbook in English came out in the 1500s, oh, wow. and it was called "This Is the Book of Cookery." Book is <laughs> book is B O K E, and cookery is C O K E R Y. But it it just cracks me up that they have this is the as part of the title. <laughs> uh, Machiavelli, the Prince. That's a very good uh, readable even today book that came out in the fifteen hundreds, and and then there's the books that I don't really, I sort of respect them as literary milestones, but I don't really read them like. Sir mm-hmm. Philip Sidney and and Spencer's The Fairy Queen and Ariosto's Orlando Furioso. I'm sort of, I kind of acknowledge those more than I actually enjoy them. So, but like you said, the the publishing, uh, new translations of the Bible came out. Luther came out. Uh, Erasmus was publishing books, and there's it was a good flourishing of of publications. I think I took the the last good century. Um, yeah, it <laughs> it starts to get pretty. Uh... Well, you know, I I learned a lot about all these works. You know, every time I I think I get my I've gotten my arms around world literature. Yeah, when you start looking into like the eighth century and ninth century, and people are just kind of combing the whole, entire planet. Yeah. what's been published there are all these works i've just never heard of so that was kind of fun preparing for this podcast that was kind of fun and but the other thing that you'd notice like i'd look up african literature or mm-hmm. indian literature and you see like there's you know they'll have the the milestones and you see that a lot of times in these timelines there'll be a couple hundred years apart mm. you know yeah. that, like, <laughs> there might be something in the in the 7th century and then something in the 11th century, something like that, where it's like, oh, wow, you know, that <laughs> long stretch there with uh, without any, you know, that I can't add to my list here. So my next pick, this is what my number four now is yeah. going to be the 1400s, uh-huh. which, again, a lot of this is about we owe a lot to the 1400s, even if the actual writers were not that great. <laughs> this was when they made the works available, like 
the works that came mm-hmm. from the 1300s, Dante, Boccaccio, Chaucer, you know, they were published more. The Gutenberg set up his press and printed the Bible and presses were being opened up in different countries. And so they were able to print things in translation and Aesop's fables and the Bible and Plato. And this is when, you know, that's part of literature too, that readers were getting access to these books, but it's, it's not as good as saying, you know, this is the century when Hamlet was written. There's not a whole lot that we read today. Oh, another thing is Korea's alphabet was developed in the 1400s. So that's another great Mm. thing. You know, universities were rising and the Vatican Library was founded. Those are great things, but uh, there's not a lot that was first published in the 1400s that we read today. So it's I'm happy to take it with my fourth pick, but it's wasn't a great century for literature, I have to admit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure whether I should take a fifth pick or just say I can't think of anything other than Augustine, who I've never read. Well, well, that's going way back. That's 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 not even on the list. That's like 300s. (laughs) Well, we're we're only starting in the 1000s. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, was, we could just well, go through what's left. The 1200s, we had Marco Polo, Icelandic sagas, uh, okay. Thomas Aquinas, some Persian poetry. There's some Lancelot stuff coming out. But, the, you know, it's a lot of chronicles and ballads. Those are kind of boring as as genres. There's a there. Yeah. I thought Life I was Charlemagne. I was all excited that uh, the oldest library that's still being used was started at Merton College in Oxford in the 1200s. So I was kind of excited about that. But then they said for 100 years, the books were probably kept in a chest, which (laughs) sounds like not much of a library. (laughs) If it's it's just books in a box, it's hardly worth the, (laughs) the term, I guess. So Korea had a nice moment in the 1200s where Buddhist scriptures were recorded on 81,000 wooden blocks. It was kind of a full set of canonical Buddhist literature of the time. Illuminated manuscripts were in the 1200s, but who were those for, really? One person or 10 or or 50? You know, it was just monks writing. It's pretty grim. Yeah. And then I heard uh, this was a really bad story for the 1200s, where there was the siege of Baghdad when the House of Wisdom was destroyed by forces from the Mongol Empire and they said that the waters of the river ran black with ink from the books flung into it and then ran red with the blood of the philosophers and scientists who were killed. Oh, so God. it's, uh, yeah, some dark days for literature in the 1200s. And yet I had that as my, I had that ahead of uh, three other centuries. So <laughs> things got worse <laughs> from there. <laughs> um, let's see, the 1000s. I had ahead of the 1100s, 1000s had the earliest surviving copy of Beowulf in India. They were translating the Mahabharata in China. They were writing poetry in Vietnam. They built the temperature, the the temperature, the temple of literature, which is nice. There was some stuff going on in Persia again. Omar Khayyam, the Persian philosopher, Avicenna, another Persian was writing. And the Song of Roland, which is a book I've read. Mm-hmm the best book about the Crusades, I think. And I've saved the best for last, or maybe the two things. The Tale of Genji might be the world's first novel written by Lady Murasaki sometime in the first few decades of the 1000s. And the Song Dynasty in China 
was uh, producing some good poetry. I tend to like the Tang poetry better, but it's it's a real debate, Tang versus Song. A lot of people will will uh, say that the Song Dynasty poetry was better. So that some good things were happening around the world, but in Europe it was once again it was pretty grim and not very literate. Something like ten percent of men and one percent of women could read in the one thousands. So wow. Yeah, that's uh, 1100s. Things are still pretty bleak. Literacy is still low. And in, in India, university and its libraries were sacked and burned by Turkish invaders. And they said the fire lasted for several months, which is another grim piece of business, literary business in the 1100s. There was a treatise on tea in China that came out. This is how, this is really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Some devotional lyrics in India and some more Song Dynasty poetry might be the highlight from the 1100s. And I still had that ahead of the 2000s, <laughs> which was last on my list. Uh, so did you learn anything other than what you've said so far in, in running through the last thousand years? I'm feeling like I should uh, try to break out of my old habits of just reading whatever I feel comfortable with and just try something just way out there, you know. Um, I might read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Mm, inspired by the movie. Yeah, especially since I, I'm not crazy about Don Quixote. I just figured that <laughs> that would be just one more bit of uh, ammunition if I really liked the Green Knight. Oh, right. I see. I don't know. A lot of this stuff I read in college as required reading, I'm kind of glad that I did. Uh, it gave me kind of a grounding. I don't know that that picking works up, although I did enjoy the Seamus Heaney translation of Beowulf. Uh, which, oh, yeah. You know, I read that also. Yeah. Kind of goes back. Good. So that was that's kind of a nice uh, book from this period. It would be interesting to compare ancient literature and medieval slash renaissance literature maybe if we take out shakespeare but yeah. i think originally we were going to kind of do this and go all the way back to uh greece and rome uh, well, maybe that's what I, we should do next time i was going to say that every year i try to read at least one play and mm. lately i've been reading greek plays oh right it's interesting to read like sam shepherd and then read a greek play mm. because you know, there's something about, you know, reading the Odyssey and then reading Jonathan Lethem that is just seems so different. But this with a play format, because it's so stylized, it doesn't seem that different. Mm. <laughs> reading, reading a Greek play and then reading Sam Shepard. Yeah, so. right. You mean because they're, the structure of it is basically just people talking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a good it's a good way of kind of reconnecting with the past by reading plays, especially because if you're reading it in translation and they've sort of modernized the language, uh, yeah, it can feel very fresh in a way that prose or poetry probably wouldn't. Yeah. And Carson, we, we haven't done an episode about, but maybe we should is a classicist, but is a very original poet. Mm. I was just reading in her collection, Glass, Irony, and God. There's a p long poem she writes about uh, a Roman guard who's trying to keep out foreigners. Mm. And it's set in the format of a possible TV show pitch. 
Right. <laughs> but it's very, uh, very stylized. And um, she w- goes in and out of a classical language to a modern language. Yeah. Right. It's I fun. like Ann Carson. That might be a good, uh, a good yeah. show for us to do. Yeah, we should do it. Okay. So did we leave anything on the table here? Maybe we should do a read a book from each century. Ooh. Yeah, homework project. <laughs> you haven't gotten beyond homework? Well, you're doing all those Twitter reads. Those feel like homework to me. You know, I I am so I always think of books read per year as home runs, pre steroids. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so you try to get like 60 would be the record. Oh, 60 is crazy. Yeah. I mean, normally <laughs> like if a baseball player hits 40 yeah. pre-steroids, that was like really good. Yeah. That was, that could lead the league some years. Yeah. So I, I try to hit, I try to read 40 books a year. This year I'm on pace for 70. Ooh. And I think it's the Twitter book clubs. What's the most you've ever been in at one time? And this is, for people who don't know, this is an online reading project. Mike and a bunch of Twitter people will get together with using hashtags, and they'll choose a book, and then they read, what is it, 10 pages a day, usually, of something? Yeah. And yeah. they decide I mean, which book to read. And, and you seem to have multiple ones going at once sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I normally read five books at a time. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, other than the, the Twitter stuff, but... There was a Twitter. There were, we were we were reading. Let's see, we were reading Proust plus the Good Soldier Schweck, plus this a public space book, the the Notes of a Crocodile. This uh, was really interesting. I forget her name, but she's a queer uh, Taiwanese writer. Uh, maybe yeah. she's mainland Chinese, Xu, but she um. Xu yeah, she yeah. committed suicide, and she wrote a novel about her college years, mm. which was really hypnotic. Just you know, very short chapters. Yeah, um, so I was reading Taiwanese. That. I think she was. Oh, she was Taiwanese. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read it? No, a, no. Oh, I recommend it. I mean, more and more, I'm I'm trying to find books that are very different from others, and mm-hmm. that book is. Just there are no comps. It's hard to compare. Think of a book similar to that. But I, yeah, I was. I, I think I was reading like uh, I, I did have a lot of homework every night. I had to read ten pages of like seven <laughs> books. <laughs> and it got to the point where I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to read seventy five pages of Middle March today. <laughs> like I'm not reading anything else. I'm just yeah. reading Middle March. Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> Okay, but, but, but I I am on pace for seventy, so I'll see. I'll, I'll let you know how how I do. Yeah, keep us posted, <laughs> and that will be uh, the pre-steroids. That would have been uh, that would have been the record. The record. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, you'd be topping uh, Babe Ruth and Roger Maris. Okay, Mike, let's leave things there. Thank you as always for joining me on the history of literature. Thanks, Jack. Hey, there we go. My thanks to Mike, as always, for joining me and to the many writers and readers over the past 1,021 years. You have made me very happy with your efforts. Do you like things to be straightforward, listeners? Or 
complex. I'm finding that I long for things to be straightforward, but whenever I try to answer a question, what I tend toward and revel in are the complexities. Food for thought, I guess. Maybe that's what's weighing me down this week. In any case, don't worry. I will try to lift myself up for next time and give you some good content. We have such great shows coming up. Some great authors are here to tell us about their favorite books and editors, too. And we will finish our Henry James work. That beast is still crouching, people. We will hear it pounce. And some other great shows are in the works, too. Get behind us, Satan. And subscribe. And no, 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 no. Not you, Satan. Not, I'm done talking to you. I'm having a private conversation over here with my friends, the listeners. And you are not invited. You are only... Only here when I'm telling you to get behind me. The rest of the time, you could just sit there and stare at your phone. This podcast is off limits to you. I know you were featured during the Milton episode, but that was a one-time only thing. Oh, maybe, maybe in Hawthorne, we might have had young Goodman Brown in there too. But really, just because you've been on the show doesn't mean I want you listening all the time. You Prince of Darkness, you... Luciferous beast, I've I've revoked your listening privileges and blocked you on Twitter. Goodbye, Satan. Au revoir. See you later. Hmm. Why did I just say see you later to Satan? Bad move on my part. Habit, I suppose. Well, sometimes we pay dearly for our habits. Sometimes we pay with our soul. Nevertheless, we persist. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.